There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Episode 8 of The Story Studio with your hosts, Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. It's a show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowdfunders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone who can sell stories in the modern world. I am Luke Condor with a K, and I'm joined by Daniel Wilcox and our guest John Locke. Hello, <laughs> John Locke, one of the guys from Big Punch Studios. How's it going? Uh, it's going really well, thank you. Um, hello to you both, uh, and. This is really the highlight of my day. This is wonderful. Oh, well, Fantastic. That's, that's good to hear. How's the uh, how's the creating going, guys? Anyone working on anything at the minute? Is this an open question? Open uh, question. Yeah, take, Jump take it away. Uh, well, we are uh, uh, flipping out. Where to, uh, where to begin? Uh, we've just uh, we've just wrapped up issue seven of BPM, which is a uh, quarterly magazine we put out, uh, kind of like a comics anthology, and. Yeah, incredibly. We're coming up on two years of having done this now. We, you know, they, when we said we were doing it, they laughed. But somehow we've uh, <laughs> we've made it through nearly two years. And yeah, that's just gone to print this week, like a like a well oiled machine, kind of. Now it only took us seven issues, and <laughs> this is kind of weird. Like there was a time when um, the idea of even making one comic was like a dream for me, and now it's not. I know it sounds weird. Like we were talking about this the other day. It's not that it's anticlimactic now. Mm. It's just like, oh, we've done another issue. You know, yeah. it's, it's weird. Like every issue is wonderful and we love it to bits. But as soon as it's done, we have to think about the next one. Are, so, you, are you searching for the next high? That's a problem, and you have to keep escalating because it's yeah. like it never, it never hits that immediate, uh, the initial excitement. But yeah. no, it's, we're really proud of it, and just uh, yeah, but, but just you know, the wheel keeps on turning, and we've got to. You know, we've just got to get ready for the next project. So Definitely. that's good. We're expecting that back from the printer probably to start next week, actually. I definitely want to delve into that a bit more because you have, I actually love your magazine and I, and, uh, I love your Patreon campaign. So and we, we would like to do something similar, but we just haven't made it work yet. So we haven't quite cracked Patreon, though. No, oh, well, tell me. Look, uh, I could 
Um, yeah, please, uh, if I can, if I can talk wax lyrical about that, I'd love to, because I don't think we, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things, I don't think we've cracked it anyway. It's, <laughs> it's a fascinating, bizarre, wondrous little thing. And yeah, I'd love to have a discussion about it. Great, great. Dan, how's the, uh, how's the novel writing going? Yeah, it's going well. We, um, <clears throat> coming up to the end now of Project Lazarus. And originally when we planned them, we were heading for about 50,000 words for the novel. Um, and looking to finish was the deadline that we set Sunday the 18th, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of coming up to that now, and we're settling more. I'm just about to hit 70,000 words on this book, um, which has taken a de- definitely a different shape to what I was originally going for. But um, I've kind of just today <clears throat> managed to squeeze in three and a half thousand words. Um, Jesus. Well, I've had a bit of a crap week word-wise, to be honest. Sort of 500 words a day, which. I know it's good for some, but for it's letting myself down. Do you find, uh, I mean, me, I'm talking to a proper writer now, you know, like pure prose, you know, none, <laughs> none of his pictures malarkey, but do you find like, um, much like I was saying, like, oh, you know, we've got another issue out, that's old hat now. Do you find, oh man, I've hit 70,000 words. You know, there's a, you kind of, you forget what it was like for that one part of your life where maybe getting a thousand words done would have been incredible. And now it's like, oh, 70,000 words, it's nothing, got to keep going. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a weird transition because I think we, we've spoken briefly um, in, in a previous episode about the uh, yeah transition between working on your word counts and how to make them bigger. And yeah, definitely, I think uh, what we're in now, we're in September. In February, I think it was, or March, I hit 80,000 words of uh, the first draft of a different novel. And I remember that feeling of, oh, my God, this is amazing. I've hit, you know, 80,000. It was like absolutely insane. And now, yeah, I'm coming up to 70,000 words just going, yeah, book's nearly done. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, def- it's definitely a different feeling. But I, I think it's nice because it feels more comfortable knowing that you can reach it. Mm. And that it's, I guess it's almost, yeah, it's comfortable in it not being as special anymore, I guess. Yeah, you've got to like, you've got to try and balance that excitement with the challenge of the next thing whilst mm. trying to remain grateful for the fact that you're able to do that thing does that make sense yeah yeah and it was actually um a word that i came across uh, a couple of weeks ago which sums it up perfectly and i think it actually sums up my personality um have you guys heard of hedonistic adaptation no, no. i haven't no no so i, I think actually... their first album <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think it goes for a lot of creatives where hedonistic adaptation basically means that you ride a high and then you adapt to that high very quickly and it becomes the norm and then it's nothing anymore. And then you are looking for that next thing. But that's a weird thing. I mean, I've often felt, he said, putting on his pretentious hat now, but I've often felt that like, um, you know, when you have these ideas in your head and like, uh, for, you know, I for the longest time had these ideas and I never did anything about them, but I was always kind of, you know, thinking about doing them. And in my head, there was this, you know, wonderful uh kind of a perfect unobtainable thing but then the moment you start making it a reality like the moment you start forcing yourself and you're training your brain like a muscle or you're training your willpower and you say i'm going to sit down today i'm going to do 500 words i'm going to do 500 words and it's weird because you can't help but lose just a tiny bit of the magic which is simply the act of mm. taking it out of your brain where it will forever be perfect and unobtainable and flawless and and exposing it to the world and then you find the flaws you find the things you have to fix you get knackered because you're doing a thousand words a day for like eight months or something like that and (laughs) and it's like or whatever (laughs) you know whatever is a realistic word target but you know it's interesting yeah and it's like everything we're saying like it's 
it becomes a point where it is, if not a job, like a, a livelihood. You, you are mm. just writing constantly. And you forget how kind of amazing that is in a weird way. It's when someone comes along and goes, you've written a book. Or like, you know, you've, even if you've written a short story, you've written a chapter, a great paragraph. That's, that's kind of incredible. And you get these moments where you stop and you think, yeah, yeah, actually, that is kind of incredible. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, you need, sometimes you need someone else to remind you of that. I remember when I started making films and stuff a while ago, and I remember like sending scripts around and no one would read them and no one really cared. And I was feeling a bit down about it. And I remember thinking, how cool would it be if someone emailed me after seeing a film and, and would have said that they would have enjoyed it? And um, the first time that happened, I was like, like I was amazed, I was so joyful that it happened. And then the two years later down the line, I was like working on some more stuff. I was a bit more well known, and I got the same sort of email from someone else. And I instantly just sort of moved on and sort of moved past it. And then my my girlfriend, who's my fiance now, said, "You know, two years ago, you would have been so happy about that, but like you just don't you don't appreciate it anymore." Yeah, I think. Um, sorry. I oh, know. I was just going to say it's a, it's a strange. Um sensation i still get it sometimes with driving which i know is obviously different but when i was learning to drive i lived uh, i grew up in well around cambridge here out in the middle of the fens and it was sort of 25 miles to to my friend's house so when i learned to drive that was awesome that was the best feeling i could have that that feeling of freedom and moving about and i'll sometimes get in now where i'll be driving along and go this is a bit boring hold on like you, you would you were killing yourself for this kind of freedom and then you just take it for granted now yeah. I was thinking about that just the other day. It was so mm. weird. I, I remember like a vividly, vividly when I was a very young lad, I thought I couldn't wait to drive because this walking around is the most. <laughs> like I want to, I want to propel myself with no effort. And it yeah. seems so magical. And now it's just like, oh yeah, the car. Yeah. You know, it's just so I'm what? tired of feet now. Give me wheels. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I guess it's chasing that high. Like it would have to. It would have to be like learning to fly a plane or something. And then the moment you learn to fly a plane, you'd be like, oh, it's a bit. Do you reckon that magic does go? Because, you know, flying a plane is something substantial. That's crazy. Do you reckon there are pilots that are just like, oh, I'm in a plane again? (laughs) It's weird, weird, isn't it? Because it's like, it's one of our greatest strengths and weaknesses as a species that we can adapt to things. You know, it's like if, uh, if something terrible happens to you, if you have like a terrible sadness, it's like you should... You know, feeling it is important because you feel it and you're acknowledging that loss or that pain or whatever bad thing happened to you. But it will heal. This is the horrible thing. Mm. You know, you think like, I I feel bad now, but I will feel better. And then with every moment that you feel better and as time passes, that terrible thing fades. And you think, oh, but I want to hang on to it. I want to, in a weird way, I want to honor that bad thing. And it's the same with good things as well. Yeah. Because if, 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 uh, if the sheer joy of, say, to bring it back to writing, if the sheer joy of finishing a chapter filled you with the most tremendous energy that you had to run around the block every time you did it, you'd never get any work done. <laughs> so your brain, almost as a defense mechanism, scabs over and says, <laughs> you know, yeah, this is incredible. Like every sentence I get on the page is like a mini miracle. But no, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to, I can't. It's like a survival mechanism. I can't think about how cool it is. Oh, this is getting deep. This is blowing my it's brain. Deep. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've only had like two. <laughs> it reminds me of when you like when you give a dog a toy, <laughs> and then 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 wait till they've sort of gotten used to it and they've dropped it on the floor, and then try to take the toy away. They suddenly become. They suddenly realize what they're missing out on now. Yes. Or to take a phone away, like an iPhone, away from someone now to make them realize how. From like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Cool. I, uh, I, uh, sorry, one last little, just thinking about the perspective thing. I remember, uh, I think it was in like 2012, and it was the first time I'd ever gone to Kapow Comic Con. And it's actually the last time I ever went to Kapow Comic Con because it was a short lived show. Uh, but I remember I'd gone down the day before, I was, I'd, uh, I'd crashed in my dad's apartment. So I was sitting in this apartment all on my own. He wasn't there. And I had this box of books with me and it was, I had two books at this point and I was very excited about it. Or maybe it was 2013. Anyway, long story short, I'm sitting there alone in this apartment. All I've got to do is get a night's sleep and then get on a train very early in the morning. And I go to a corner shop and I buy a couple of, you know, a little four pack of beers. So it's very, you know, it's very sad. I'm sitting alone in an apartment drinking beer, kind of looking at these books. And it took the alcohol blood content of two beers for me to realize how cool it was that I'd made two books. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like I'd, I've got so kind of every day about it. I'd mm-hmm. never even stopped to smell the roses and everything stopped to think, oh yeah, this is cool. You know, yeah. and about, and yeah, it probably looks so pathetic from the outside. Like me just kind of like kneeling surrounded by paper. <laughs> empty That's a great cans. advert for the next beer commercial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just a creative sat there just honoring his books by being completely inebriated. We think, but make, wearing like a, 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 a faux tunic and have sewn, <laughs> yeah. sewn together out of tape and versos. I think, in all honesty, I think it is very important to celebrate your wins as much as possible. Like, we do take it for granted. When you do it, when you publish your book for the second time, it's not as big a thing. So you need to take the moment to reflect and just smile at your own work. You've got to. Yeah, 100%. Cool. You would, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, just to move things along, um, we need to do our big whoops for the week. Oh, what a big whoop. So, Dan, do you want to go first or should we make our guests yeah, go yeah, first? Yeah, yeah, sure. I can, I can take it unless John wants to go first. No, no, please, please. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, I um, finally got around this week to playing Uncharted 4, which I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the series, the Uncharted series uh i i know many people who are who love it i'm the same as john yeah. i've i've seen the trailers okay <laughs> yeah so the kind of sum up that i give people is it's kind of like a male tomb raider but i uh when i bought my ps3 in well years ago uh uncharted 2 was one of the free games that came with it and it was one of those that i gave it a bit of a chance and thought you know it's going to be all right i'll, I'll see what it's all about because i was never that crazed on that type of game um, and was just blown away by the story, the movements, how advanced it was at the time for a PS3 game. Um, and then a couple of years later, Uncharted 3 came out and blew that out of the water and was absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, Uncharted 4 came out a couple of months ago and I've been meaning to play it since just because it's one of the first games in, I think since The Last of Us, it's got like 10 out of 10 in most of its reviews. And I've I've played about two hours of gameplay in it and i can so see why it's got 10 out of 10 reviews it is oh it's visually magnificent and i don't use that word a lot that's not a damn word it, <laughs> visually it is absolutely beautiful and it has a really nice balance of um actual gameplay and story the story in it is so rich and it's so um, because it's the final one in the season, it's the final well, in the series, the final one they're doing. They've paid a lot of attention to nostalgia and to bringing about this whole feeling that they're wrapping it up. And it's yeah, just I, I've, I've kind of been blown away by it. And there are so many nice touches in there because it's like um, I don't want to spoil things for people, but they got really cool Easter eggs because it's a naughty dog 
production and they've done some other bits here and there and i, I did see I, I think you'd be fine to spoil it dan um yeah are you talking about a crash bandicoot Oh, yeah, I was going to ask about the Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, thing. I saw someone oh, talk. I saw something about it. it. Looked really cool. Yeah, I had no idea that was going to be a thing. It's quite early on in the game, but it's um, the main character Nathan and uh, a character called Eleanor, and they're having a bit of a you know a lovers discussion, shall we say? And it's like, oh, will you do the dishes? I'll bet you this, and you suddenly are plunged into this level on Crash Bandicoot. And I was sat there going, oh, this is amazing. If my <laughs> if my eight year old self could see this. Um, but yeah, I've, I've still got a lot to play on it, but it's just one of the most visually appealing story wise. It's blows everything else I've played out of the water and I'm looking forward to seeing where else it goes with it. It's kind of sad that that's the last one in the series because you don't often get, uh, game characters that iconic anymore. Do you know what I mean? So there isn't many more Nathan Drake's or Lara Croft's or Crash Bandicoot's anymore, or it doesn't seem to be that way. I know. I mean, mean, like, uh, you know, that guy is my favorite character <laughs> you know the uh caucasian with the short brown hair and uh, big gun and power armor i love that guy it's a very game of thrones effect isn't it it's you know that show that part with you know the character with the beard and he, he talks <laughs> to the girl i don't think anyone knows more than two character names in game of thrones it's probably that's that's probably a defense mechanism you don't want to get too attached yeah oh, no. <laughs> but yeah that's my big whip great uh john how about you uh, well, um, this is unplanned. I'm hoping between the three of us, we might be able to get like all main forms of media. But if you, if um, this is ridiculous, I'm about to hold up a book uh, on a podcast, which is not uh, uh, amazingly visual medium. Um, but no, I turned uh, I turned 30 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations! And, oh, thank you kindly. And um, uh, one of my presents was uh, the Greatest Cases of Sherlock Holmes, uh, which is in a lovely kind of uh, faux like that kind of fake rubbery leather cover. And it's very nice. Uh, and to my eternal shame, I'd never actually read uh, a Sherlock Holmes story. I, I, I haven't either, by the way. I've been to his house, which doesn't make sense to me. How can there be a house if he's fictional? But <laughs> I, I've still not read a story and I really want to. Yeah, well, I was the only... the collection two years ago and I've still not read any of them. <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing because the only Sherlock Holmes story I'd ever actually read was um, the Neil Gaiman uh, oh, uh, a study in emerald. Yeah, which mm. is a it was written for a, a Lovecraftian Sherlock Holmes anthology. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it, it's kind of it's kind of brilliant actually, and um, uh, and that was the only ref, uh, research I did when I wrote a Sherlock Holmes story in the first Gaffel I think book. So, um, so I feel like a fraud really. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm reading um, some Sherlock Holmes, and I'm a couple of stories into this anthology. Uh, it's not chronological. It just kind of handpicks some of his greatest cases. And um, the thing I found really interesting is actually how, uh, I don't want to say mundane, but how kind of down to earth a lot of them are. Right. And we're used to Sherlock Holmes. And I think, frankly, because of like the recent, you know, the Guy Ritchie movies, which I do actually like, uh, and um, the BBC series, we've come to this idea that Sherlock Holmes now is kind of like a mutant. Yeah. Like he's basically, he's basically <laughs> Charles Xavier. And uh, when in reality, like a lot of the cases he's solved so far are r- rather simple, actually. Like <laughs> I, I, I've been able to see where he's going and I'm not a detective genius. But um, uh, but yeah, I, I actually I actually want to do a small reading, if that's OK. Of I'm going to be very, uh, very literary. <laughs> yeah. 
because it's only, it's only don't, don't worry i'm not going to get jack and ori on you it's only um <laughs> it's only a couple of paragraphs but he does have a wonderful uh turn of phrase because old uh, arthur conan doyle and um so after this particularly not not especially complex mystery called uh, the adventure of the red-headed league which is all about gentlemen with red hair <laughs> uh it just closed on this little quote where um Watson just says, like, oh, you did a good job, Holmes, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. And uh, Holmes just goes, it saved me from ennui, he answered, yawning. <laughs> Alas, I already feel it closing in upon me. My life is spent in one long effort to escape from the commonplaces of existence. These little problems help me to do so. And you are a benefactor of the race, said I. That's Watson. That's my Watson voice. He shrugged his shoulders. Well, perhaps, after all, it is of some little use, he remarked. L'homme c'est rien. Louvre, say too. That's my French accent. As nice. Gustave Flaubert wrote to George Sand, and wow. I remember thinking, "What an ending!" <laughs> and I looked at that quote because I have no idea what Gustave Flaubert wrote to George Sand. And in English, that means the man is nothing, the work is everything. And, wow! Uh, okay, that was a really cool. And I just like, oh wow, yeah, I can see why these were popular. He's uh, he's yeah. a good writer. He was a good writer. Yeah, time. absolutely. So. So you're you've gone for like a literary sort of idea there. Uh, my big whip is that uh, I got a comic book through the door the other day called Bum Apple Freak Show, <laughs> and it's like um, so. About a year ago, I got um, uh, a package from a friend. He said um, he, it's like a a list of cut out words, and then some instructions that said pick out six of the words and then write a surrealist Dardarist story based around those random words. Um, so I did sort of sent it back to him and now he's taken it away and he's created this mental anthology of Dardarist stories um, called Bum Apple Freak Show. And it's uh, it's not available yet. I think it's going to be £5. I think I might get a few and bring them to the link on, Dan, you know, for the Comic-Con. That'll be cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just because we haven't got any other comics, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just really, really interesting to see how stories... Like even without any logic, can kind of work and kind of be funny and interesting. Um, my story in there is about a guy moving to London and meeting a, a pet mustache. Um, there's another story, the Bum Apple Freaker, the ta- the, uh, the title story. Uh, I only got halfway through it last night, but he he has like an apple tree growing out of his bum, and then he starts <laughs> selling and eating the apples off of the tree. It, it's it's mental, but it's really really cool. I'll I'll throw a link to that in the show notes, uh, so people can check it out. But um, yeah, it's interesting anyway. I don't, maybe we maybe we should do one on the show at some point, Dan. Get him on. We'll write a story off the cuff. Yes, that would be fun. Kind of like free association. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting huskier over here. I'm just going to clear my. <laughs> Sorry. No, you, it was it was a reading. I thought you were getting into a Benedict Cumberbatch sort of <laughs> tone there. Cool. Okay, so John, let's um, let's dive into you both figuratively and literally, <laughs> and emotionally. I would hope. <laughs> um, so I first found Big Punch Studios. I think Niche was on uh, another podcast, the Awesome Comics podcast, and then from there. Sorry, I I love. Can we call him Niche from now on? That'd be fantastic. How do you pronounce his name? Nick. Why did I call him Niche? Is, is it spelled, it's spelled a little bit weird. <laughs> oh, we call him all kinds of things. I call him Angle just to annoy him. So, Or Angle Poise, which has been oddly, oddly fitting recently. 
So anyway, Niche, uh, <laughs> Nick was on the on the podcast, and I just checked out the website, and I was like, oh, this is very interesting. I like that they've got lots of stuff going up. It's not just one medium. And then I started to look at your Patreon campaign, started to look at the comic books, and I was kind of amazed and blown away by like the variety of stuff you're doing. I mean, how did it all start? Uh, well, that's incredibly kind of you to say so. And this is coming from the amazing Hawk and Cleaver website, which I think is, <laughs> is truly fantastic, uh, having, having browsed it. Um, but yeah, where, where did it all begin? Well, um, I'll try and keep this concise because I know I have a tendency to ramble, but, uh, back in, I always want, well, long story short, I always wanted to make comics mm. and I had this, uh, kind of dream or this idea that the way you made comics was you wrote a script, one take that's, you know, printed it off walked up to a comic convention waving it above your head and said i've made i've made a story who wants to uh who wants to publish it and then like you'd hear like i i sir you know a little, <laughs> someone, someone would pop up at the back and it'd be like an auction and then the next step was success and fame and and everything and um i just realized rather quickly as a young lad that just wasn't that just wasn't gonna happen so i uh rather than kind of wait for that magical like fairy godmother effect, I ended up uh, starting to publish a comic myself, which was never my intention. I never set out to be a self-publisher. How old were you at this point? Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was saying lad. I was... Uh, I mean, I'm picturing like a, a seven-year-old boy. <laughs> no, no. It's true. I, I, went to, I went to my first convention in 2004 five and i was 18 or 19 okay and i had the most teenage story you've ever imagined it was called dark force and it was uh shall we say gnarly Uh, there were a lot of uh chains and spikes and angels and demons and sounds radical Right, it was street, it was yeah. pretty it, it was pretty bodacious actually and uh, i want to i want to bring it back at some point i really do and um but yeah it was like a, it was it was born out of the 90s comics it was very joe mad it was very uh x-men and uh yeah and i just very kindly i have to say spoke to people and kind of got put in my place and i mean this in the best possible way like i learned you know this is how you do this that or the other but flash forward sky making uh, a couple of comics that didn't really go anywhere uh 2007 i had an idea for a comic called afterlife inc which is about a con artist who died, discovered an afterlife in chaos, then took over and ran it like a business. That was 2007. It took me until 2011 to start getting content together because that was like, I got a job, I started saving up, I got a bit of money to pay artists. And um, I started touring. I went uh, I went around a load of conventions in 2011 just as a punter. And mm. I, this time I was, I was kind of like armed mentally, not, not kind of physically, uh, but I was ready. I was kind of like, I want to learn this time. I want to go and talk to people. And I didn't go to the publishers such as there were, there weren't many in the UK. I went to the indie people and I said, you know, the bog standard questions, where do you get a tablecloth? You know, how do mm. you book a table? where do you get these banners from? Who printed your books? And I was putting together some content at this time and I uh, remember going to a Birmingham convention and stopping by, going around the tables, and there was a gentleman called Niche, Niche Angel <laughs> who was uh, selling his comic called Seven String. It was about a world where music is magic and people fight with guitar swords and stuff. And it was really just a passing encounter. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like this great meeting of the minds. But 
I remember saying, what's all this about then? And he started, he opened his comic and he showed me this great big double page spread of the gods of this world who were, there were seven gods and each god embodied a different genre of music. Like there was a rock god, there was a folk god, there was like an uh, electro god. And I that think sounds I sounds incredible. I, yes, <laughs> exactly. And I, uh, uh, this story has morphed over the years, but I, I, uh, I think I swore at him then and there. I was like, oh, damn you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being polite now. I was like, you, you swine. That's just such a good idea. Like, I was annoyed at him. And I uh, bought his book and we parted ways. And then in start of 2012, I actually had a book to sell. I had the first volume of After I Think. We went to London Super Comic Con uh, and I started selling it, my first ever show. And I had no idea how it was going to go, but I saw, ni- I saw Niche, waved at him. <laughs> he bought a copy of my book. And I learned after the fact that he'd forgotten me. He had no, <laughs> idea, who, he had no idea who I was that second time around. But I'd written him a really nice email after I bought Seven String, and I said, oh, I love your book, man. It's amazing. It's really inspiring. You're doing all this world building. That's kind of what I want to do. And he wrote me a really gushing email after he bought my book, but he didn't remember me. He <laughs> hadn't kind of put two and two together. And then eventually, like, it kind of uh, clicked. And we were like, oh, hang on. And then we just started bumping into each other at shows, always ended up chatting. Our kind of significant others all met each other. So Ali, Nick's other half, Lucy, my other half, and the four of us clearly hit it off because after like the second or third time we we were eating, hanging out after a show, we were eating sushi, and Nick just said, "Do you want to come on holiday with us?" <laughs> it was this really, it was this really <laughs> bizarre leap, and we ended up going up to um, uh, like his parents' place up in uh, Yorkshire, and we spent like a week oh, just so hanging out there. You met the parents pretty early on in the relationship, then I like it. Yeah, as you're guessing. Yeah, well, you see, as you might, you know, the subtext you might be able to read between the lines here is that this is the love that dare not speak its name between uh, <laughs> me and Niche. And, um, and yeah, but the four of us just really hit it off. And we started, you know, specifically requesting that our tables be next to each other at shows. Uh, we decided to do a crossover between Seven String and After I Think, which... Uh, we, we called the heavenly chord and we did it as a joke at first. We were like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we, we took the mick out of the end of Iron Man 2 where they find the hammer out in the desert? Because Nick's seven string revolves around the eponymous seven string, this incredible guitar sword. And uh, we, we, we had a laugh and then we thought, what if we did it? Like, what's actually, <laughs> what's actually stopping us? And we, made, and we made it. That's the incredible thing. And uh, it was... To date, one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done, like as a creative project, it was it was a laugh riot from beginning to end, and I'm I'm still so proud of it as a story. I think it, I think he said bias, but I think it really works as a standalone. <laughs> but we left it in canon. Mm. That's a thing. Like literally through the through the events of the story, an item from Nick's world is left behind in mine. That's pretty and cool. And kind of like. Well, I, I will wrap this up a second because I know I've talked like about repetition, hesitation, and deviation for like five minutes. But long story short is we had inadvertently created a multiverse. And the thing that Nick, Nick and I had in common <laughs> was that we were both world builders and we both had a big mythology outside the, you know, couple of stories we published, which tied together our works. And, you know, it may take us... I think we'd each originally planned that if it took us a decade or if it took us 20 years, we would eventually tell all these stories and it would all tie together. And we just decided to merge them. And we're like, why, 
we've shown that these two worlds are in a multiversal capacity next to each other. Why don't we do this? And we went from, you know, the heavenly chord is what scarred it all. We became a collective. Uh, then we became a limited company. And then we, and then we properly just said like Lucy and Ali are part of this as well. Like, because they were, they were so much part of this. It wasn't just me and Nick. And then the four of us, we were all storytellers. We all believed in creating these big worlds. And the next thing you know, we're all partners in our own little, our own little company. And it's, I guess uh, the rest is history. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's sort of, uh rings true to what my experience has been like with hawk and cleaver in the sense of um it started out as just like a little collective where we we'd read each other's work and stuff like that and then suddenly became something bigger when we realized that it it's more fun like working with other people generally yeah definitely yeah i've found that completely as well i was working alone probably not as long as uh, i think you've been a creative luke but in the last it must be coming up to a year now that I've been part of Hawk and Cleaver. It's just so nice having people there and being around other people that share what you do and, and the processes that you go through. And on a side note, I really want to have that as my LinkedIn sort of uh, update saying something like Daniel Wilcox inadvertently creating multiverses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or put that on your gravestone because that, that's a line to folly you to death, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I thank you thank you that's very kind um <laughs> I, I feel that will be the uh i was going to say something about very poetic there but you know it's both a wonderful and a terrible thing this is what will be hanging over me for the rest of my life now <laughs> and we've, we've often joked about we're going to finally wrap up all our stories and we'll all be 70 and uh by no means richer but uh, a lot more wrinkled <laughs> and we'll find ah it's finally over now now the success now we rake in the <laughs> what now money and bridge <laughs> the next step is profit but I mean, seriously, though, it is, it's a very, I, I mean, like, you know, it, it's wonderful to create stuff, but it can be quite a lonely profession otherwise. And having a few friends just to, even just to share your woes with is, mm. is lovely, you know. What's the, uh, the, the working relationship in the sense? Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. So, do does one of you take on more of like the, the the printing admin type stuff, and one of you do social media, or 
how how do you divvy that up yeah well i mean i guess kind of as a kind of grander scope of everything we do now we publish uh bpm uh quarterly and and bpm collects uh four titles from that multiverse we've kind of mentioned so it's all tying together it's all bigger things we do our graphic novels we've done our first card game and we do some podcasts so obviously we have enough to keep us busy and of course we all have day jobs like this isn't actually yeah uh you know uh this isn't actually we're not sitting on our towers of gold yet, yet. Uh, yes 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 <laughs> is the is the thing but um but yeah it's uh, how do we divvy it up well i mean we joke about it but nick is like our uh star i'm sorry i'm not sporty our star tribesman like he's the one who scores the points with the ball and um i sometimes feel like we're oh my god this is the worst american football analogy ever <laughs> i think we are the quarterback who is you know, throwing the ball so nick can score <laughs> So we often like because Nick draws like so much of our output and because that is incredibly time consuming, we we feel like we clear as much space as we can so Nick can run for the goal. So it's basically like if Nick can if Nick can draw, then we've kind of succeeded. Um, But I think it's actually divvied up quite well because Lucy is our Lucy keeps everyone in check, which is wonderful. So Lucy does uh, writing. We co-write. Me and her co-write Ninety uh, Nine Swords. She letters, so she letters all our stuff. She also uh, looks after all our mailing lists and subscriptions. So she kind of interacts with our subscribers and patrons and fans. Uh, Nick uh, does the drawing, uh, but he's also uh, he's also pretty much our convention guy as well. Like he's pretty good at. Uh, talking with MCM and the shows and booking tables or booths and whatnot. Uh, Ali is our film wizard and our kind of multimedia person. So she's really good at that. And she's also handling our uh, uh, social media as well. So she's getting very, uh, and also like, you know, she's saying, oh, we should try like uh, uh, Pinterest or Imgur and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the hell are these young people (laughs) apps? I don't understand them. And um, also Ali is uh, kind of been leading the charge on our gaming side of things as well. So she's talking to, gaming publishers and printers about finding uh, a home for sandwich masters which is our card game and then i guess i guess my role is uh i think i do the majority of the writing i'm also uh, i guess our head editor uh i work as an editor in my day job uh, i am the king of commas like i'm basically just running through everything we write with a comma shocker <laughs> and just spattering it with that uh, i write um copy for um the magazine and uh, I tend to tweet and uh, do some Facebooking as well. And uh, oh yeah, and I, I tend to do the finances as well. So, and at some point we all sleep as well. Yeah, some I don't point, know. Yeah. I don't know when. Dan, like, does this sound like kind of familiar in the sense of the amount of work that goes into doing something like this? Because we're we're working day jobs in a minute as well, and trying to. Yeah. Like, I was up at five this morning trying to get some words in and stuff, and. Oh, you beat me. I was half five. Yeah. Slacker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just, but, um, it's, it's the only way to get things done. I mean, if I, I kind of feel like it's one of those one on one makes free kind of situations where yeah. the sort of the brands, if you could call it a brand, is, is a lot bigger than when I was working on my own. It was so difficult to just get myself out there, stay on top of all this stuff. But when you've got different people to work and concentrate on different areas, it just seems to, uh, multiply the output and and the awareness so much. Yeah, and I think 
I think we're still relatively young. We're still, in a lot of senses, finding our feet with things. But we're definitely, from how I see it, falling into uh, patterns and rhythms of who is sort of more suited to what. So, I mean, the way I see it, Matt's just fantastic at plowing on with gory writing things and he's he's got a bit of a hand at some creepy creepy design stuff which is incredible hmm. um ben's pretty decent at the graphic design side and making sort of uh the branding stuff look really really pretty and nice um i'd like to think mine's in um compiling books and a bit of the proofing as well uh and then yours is a mixture of audio and video and and writing and kind of everything as well but yeah it's it's organically finding its feet in what we do for each other and how we help each other but it's nice to kind of have that advantage of saying to someone oh you're better at this can you do this so for example last night i spent a couple hours putting together matt butcher's new book because he's not put anything into print yet or he's not formatted it himself and i've got experience in doing that so Happy to help where I can. And if you do mine as well, because I hate doing that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I'm working on yours next week because I, re- I really want to see yours in print, just purely because the cover's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> so you've got. Um, I really want to touch on um, Sandwich Masters because it's okay. I, I really would love to do some sort of game at some point, but I, I don't feel like I game enough to have a uh, a good the edge. Uh, I, yeah, the edge. Yeah. Um, well, Santa Constellation. I'm not very good at sandwich masks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you... know if that makes it. I don't know if that makes it the sign of a good game, but I I lose so often <laughs> at that game. It's crazy. So, can you tell us a little a little bit about what Sandwich Masters is for the listeners, um, and where where the project started and and how you funded it? Certainly. I mean, it, certainly because I clearly love the sound of my own voice. Um, we. Um, <laughs> We uh, were in a car journey, uh, one of the many uh, kind of uh, holidays or trips we spent to visit each other back when we were all living in different cities, Uh, because Nick and Ali were down in Salisbury, Lucy and I were in Cheltenham. And um, whereabouts are you now? Sorry, just to we're we're all in Cheltenham, okay, uh, the hub, (laughs) the hub of the southwest where everything happens. And um, but no, we were visiting Nick's brother uh, who lives down in Brighton, and we were very long car journey the four of us were packed in and we were starving we were just like trapped in this car in a car in a traffic jam we were really hungry and we just started riffing on sandwiches like just coming up with nonsense and it was something as simple as because i mean i guess i should clarify like we we're all uh gamers as Mm. in board games like we would play so many card and board games all the time i guess the one sad thing about big punch is that we we actually have less time to do that now we need we need to make more time for it but we were always playing stuff and it was a big part of us all getting to know each other was just like trying out a new board game and um so it was very much on our mind and we just kind of said wouldn't it like sandwich ingredients are flat right you know they're all kind of like two-dimensional uh cards are also two-dimensional we said like what if you were building a sandwich game like a game and by stacking cards and we just started joking about it and we and i think the initial idea was we were talking about having health inspectors and you were using like if you use subpar ingredients you'd get in trouble and there'd be a fine but then i had this idea that if you slipped money if you put like a put like a 20 pound note in the sandwich and just kind of slowly slid it across the table to the inspector and so yeah we just started coming up with really stupid ideas and but we thought it would work. It was one of those kind of like, because it's simple. I mean, ultimately, like, mm. it, it's just, uh, you're just building runs or kind of like collections. It'd be great. 
And then like all good ideas, we just, we didn't do anything with it. It just kind yeah. of went on back burner. And I remember, um, oh, it was, if not a year, then at least six months later, I was, um, I was in my day, my previous day job where I worked as a school biology technician. And, uh, cause I'm, I'm a biologist by training, uh, oh, okay. not a, not a rightist. And, um, <laughs> uh, I just was slacking off and I started thinking, well, hang on, this is maths. Like this is basic mathematics working out like sandwich combinations and stuff. So I started browsing the Wikipedia page for sandwiches. And there is a list of like a hundred different sandwiches. And I started going through them and listing all the ingredients. And if there's one thing I love more than cold Vulcan logic, it's, um, <laughs> it's Excel spreadsheets. So I built an Excel spreadsheet and I started saying like, what are the, what are the basic ingredients? So we'd have like cheese, ham, egg, lettuce going on like that. And, uh, so I, I came up with like 20 sandwiches, like famous, you know, real sandwiches, like yeah. ham and cheese, that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, so ham and cheese would be two bread cards, one cheese and one ham. And I worked out this mathematical formula, basically saying like, if we have a deck, which is however many cards, this is how much bread we need. This is how much cheese. And we said this one summer, which I think was summer of 2013, we're going to or maybe later, it's all blurring into one now. We're going to lock ourselves in a house for like three days over a summer, and we're not going to emerge until we have a working prototype of this game. So we bought tons of blank white cards from Ryman's pencils, and we just started scribbling it down, and we did nothing but playtest this game. And it very quickly evolved, and we very quickly scrapped the initial idea of putting money in sandwiches. But we eventually came up with a working game which uh, was called sandwich masters and the gimmick uh just to kind of get the gameplay nailed down here is that you uh have order cards which are dealt onto the deck uh dealt onto the table and there's very little uh text on them it's all symbol based and uh kudos to nick and ali here because nick was able to put all the art elements together and ali designed and arranged for cards and it looked lovely but yeah it's basically just image and image association so you know, a sandwich comes down and it's called the meat sweats. And it's like, you need one of every type of meat. So red cards are meat, yellow cards are dairy, blue cards are condiments and green cards are salad. And then within those, you've got like bacon, ham, chicken, beef, sausage. So you just start building these sandwiches. And then you start with bread, you stack up the ingredients, you've got a hand of ingredients. And then when you're ready, you close it and you collect your money. But the catch is, is that Every good ingredient has an evil counterpart. So, for example, you have uh, beef, a lovely bit of sliced beef, and you have raw beef, which is a cow. And the idea is that the customer is so hungry, they will eat anything. So the moment you close that sandwich and put the final piece of bread on, you're safe. But every moment your sandwich is open and it has evil ingredients in it means that you are at risk of a health inspector. So if someone plays a health inspector card in front of you and you've got evil ingredients in it, you either have to bribe the health inspector or throw the sandwiches away. Huh. And, and the final aspect is you have attack condiments, which are uh, ingredients you can play in other people's sandwiches to ruin them. So we all picked one for the original deck and it was uh, glass, uh, a sneeze, <laughs> a, sneeze <laughs> a ghost and a lady's silk glove, which was my favorite. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we we found a printer just down the road. Uh, it was not a printer who had ever actually printed a card game before, but we actually went for the convenience of having someone three miles from our door, yeah. at least to get like a prototype made. 
We uh, did lots of beta testing with our friends. Uh, we had a big, we booked out a cafe in town, invited about 30 people along. And we said, hey, everyone, if you turn up, we're going to be filming some footage of people playing the game, getting feedback. And uh, is this the video on the on the Patreon page? Uh, yes, it yeah, is okay. indeed, and yeah. which is what we used on our Kickstarter projects as well. Yeah. And yeah, and it was amazing, and people had a great time, and people just seemed to get it and in instinctually, and uh, instinctively, instinctively. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we even roped in. There was like a, a church group who were there, who we'd like. We'd ended up filling the top off this restaurant cafe thing, and they were just kind of marooned in the middle of it by all these random people. <laughs> and they said, "What are you? What are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, we're testing this car game." And they were like, "What can we play?" So we got them in as well and got oh, a few cool. testimonials from yeah. them. And this was all in preparation for our Kickstarter, which we ran last September and successfully funded it. So we were able to do a print run. Is, is, you, how many Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter campaigns have you guys done? I personally have run... Okay, oh, hang on, right. Uh, I've run... I ran two myself before we became Big Punch. Nick ran... Nick ran two himself uh we did sandwich maskers which was our first big punch one and i'm currently running another one at the moment so we've done six between us and uh what is the success rate on your campaigns oh well i could go i could go into this in great detail but we we've we've succeeded on them all which is nice uh probably the two biggest runaway successes we had were the collected hardback editions we did so i did a I did the Book of Life, which was a hardback collecting volumes one, two, and three of Aftal, I think. And that hit 60% in the first day and was funded in five. So we, I think we made like something like 200. Well, I think we were asking for like three grand. We made like eight, which was great. Uh, and wow. then we said, but, it, but it's also like um, Sandwich Masters, uh, as an interesting aside, uh, Sandwich Masters was kind of struggling mm. on Kickstarter. And in fact, I could, I could probably talk for hours on this and i'll try not to but uh we've noticed that kickstarter has become a bit harder i would say in recent years uh okay. because it's be it's become i don't want to use the word commercial but it kind of has become a bit more commercial where now you're getting these very polished projects running and they have a whole marketing team behind them they buy larger companies and it's getting a little harder i would say for the guy in his bedroom yeah. running a dream project to make it happen and as a fine example sandwich masters was struggling we did quite well in the first week then it slowed right down and we were at you know we we're coming up on our third week and i thought i seriously don't think we're going to make this like it was really slowing down and then out of the blue we woke up one morning and pledges were going through the roof and we couldn't work out what had happened and kickstarter themselves had made us project of the day Oh, like out of, out, yeah. of everyth out of everything on Kickstarter. And we made more in that day than we've made in the entire three weeks previous. And we ended up uh, going well over our target. And we were able to hit a few stretch goals and print more than we'd hoped for and do two expansion packs. But it was wonderful. But of course, it's, it's, it's a scenario you entirely can't plan for. Like yeah. if Kickstarter yeah. hadn't just plucked us out of obscurity, I don't think we would have we would have made it. That's a pretty impressive, like, strike rate out of all of your campaigns in general though i mean what what do you think is different about your campaigns to other campaigns that might not work so well well i don't know i mean i feel i've personally learned a lot i remember back when they announced because kickstarter came to 
the UK. It opened up to UK projects in October 2012, I want to say. And I remember that vividly because we heard it was coming and a lot of people, uh, a lot of my friends in like the indie comics area were saying like, oh, great, I'm going to run a Kickstarter. I'm going to run a Kickstarter. And I'd been panicking, like losing my mind, thinking, how the hell am I going to make my third book? Because it's expensive, you know, mm. paying everyone involved because I wanted to pay all the artists involved. And it's a big book. And you know, how am I going to do this? And I thought, could I do a Kickstarter? And I was like, no, no, only only like talented people run Kickstarters. Like I'm never going to be able to do this. And I thought, but I thought like, why not? Like I'm no, like my case is no more or less worthy than anyone else's. I should give it a shot. So inspired by everyone, all my friends who talked about it, I started putting a project together and I launched it on the day that UK projects went live. It went live, I think, on Halloween 2012. And everyone who'd been talking about doing it hadn't got round to it yet. So I ended up being the joint first UK comic project on Kickstarter, wow. along with uh, Kay Ashwin, who does this amazing webcomic called Widdershins. And, yeah, I think I've heard of Widdershins, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kay's amazing. Like, you know, she she just she does a Kickstarter every year for the collected edition of a webcomic every year, and she just utterly dom- dominates every <laughs> year. So she's got that down. Uh, but, yeah, I, I completely made a mess of my rewards when my first kickstarter like it was a real i completely structured it wrong i thought to myself what rewards can i give people and i was like i can give people badges it'd be like a little blister pack of five badges uh, seven badges all the main characters i could give people a print and i thought oh print is better than a badge so i should tear that above the badges and then i thought i can do people a t-shirt and i thought well a t-shirt is better than a print so i'll, I'll put that above that and then i thought and i can give them a book and a book is better than a t-shirt. So I structured my rewards completely the wrong way around. So if you wanted a book, which was re- which would retail at like 12 quid, you had to pledge like 50 quid. <laughs> and I got you a book, a t-shirt, a print and a badge. And I'd already, it was only, I was a few days in and people were like, hey, um, I just want the book. Do I have to get all this other junk? And I was like, oh no, what have I done? And I couldn't go back in and change it. Oh no! It's, because once once people had pledged to a reward, you can't adjust it. So a couple of people had very kindly uh, pledged for like you know the t-shirt and everything, and I thought, oh man, I have I've really shot myself in the foot here. And that first Kickstarter was so stressful. Like I, it's a bit of a recurring thing where I fall ill every time we run a Kickstarter. <laughs> the curse I developed the Kickstarter. Oh no, joke! I developed uh, labyrinthitis after. Um, that first Kickstarter, I was I was so stressed and uh, I was ill for months afterwards. I'm still trying to think if that's a real thing. <laughs> what is, <laughs> what is oh, uh, it, I, I got like I just I was running myself ragged. I got so stressed and kind of down that I got uh, an inner ear kind of viral infection and uh, my head wouldn't stop spinning for months. Is that I was a, off? Work. That's called labyrinthitis. Yeah, because it's a little bit of your ear called the labyrinth and it becomes oh, inflamed. And, uh, that's amazing. So where the minotaur lives, Luke. Yeah, course, I basically yeah. had a small, bull-headed man running around the inside of my ear. <laughs> David and, Bowie. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was tormented by visions of uh, David Bowie's uh, uh, tight, tight trousers in uh, yeah. in Labyrinth. And uh, yeah, so um, I completely made a mess of it. And somehow we we limped home and we actually, we actually made it. And uh, just about, it was a real struggle. And I was in, very much def- dependent on the kindness of my family and friends. But we made it, and I, I swore that I would never make those mistakes again, and I would have a much better run campaign the next time around. 
That's amazing. What would you say your main three takeaways were from, I mean, all your Kickstarters combined? What would be three key things that you know listeners can listen to if they were interested in a Kickstarter that they could take forward on theirs? Oh, certainly. Um, I think, um, oh, wow, okay. Uh, hit the ground, Hit the ground running. So do not tell people that you are running a Kickstarter on the morning you launch it. Mm. So I say you want to have at least a, a utter minimum two weeks promotion beforehand. Like okay. you want to be telling people, you want to be writing to review sites, you want to be running articles before it goes live. This is very important. They need to know to come and pledge because Kickstarter is less about your overall goal and less about how much you make regard uh, versus how quickly you make it. So perception of success is pivotal. So case in point, there is a project running at the moment for a comic and I glanced across and I saw that it is 1,739% funded. Wow. Which is your immediate reaction. You go, oh, flipping egg. This must be the best project in the world. I should go back it right now because it's selling like hotcakes. And I looked at it again and I looked closer and I was like, how much money have they raised? And they've raised £1,739. Oh, so they okay. set a target of £1. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so perception of, but this is the thing, like if you hit your target earlier, you will get more money overall. Mm. Because, okay. it, because no one wants to back uh, a horse which they think is going to lose. So if you can get the funding in very quickly and secure your target nice and early, then that's grand because you will people will look at a successful project and think, oh, if I pledge 10 quid to that, it's a sure bet that it will get made and I will make and I will get a nice uh, reward out yeah. of it. It's so, that whole social proof, isn't it? Whenever people yeah. are seeing it doing well, they want a bit of the action. But uh... Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, entirely. And uh, on that end, I would also recommend having, as a kind of like a junction to that, I would recommend having um, early bird rewards. So a reason to get people kind of pledging earlier. So say like, uh, the book is worth a tenner, uh, early bird rewards, the first 20 people to get in there can get the book for like eight quid or seven quid or something like that. Or, you know, it's 10 quid, but you'll also get a nice hat or something like that. You know, reasons to get people pledging early. Um, uh, so, yeah, I guess that was one point. Uh, <laughs> I guess another point is really, really, really do do the math, as they say, because it is not a magic wand. It will not solve all your problems. And um, uh, like I, I love Excel. I love Excel spreadsheets. And I ran so many Excel spreadsheets. And I was looking at the book I'm currently funding. Uh, I've actually funded half the book myself, entirely separate from Kickstarter. Like I'm thinking, like I've put all, I've put my money in. I'm hoping that people can help us go the rest of the way because it's taken me two years to get that money together to, make, yeah. to get there. And um, but I was looking at it and I looked at if I tried to run a Kickstarter to fund the entire the entirety of the project, like all the money I needed to pay the artists, the print costs, uh, Kickstarter's admin fees, and then I looked at the unit price of one book, I would have had to give away more books than I was printing to hit the target. Right, that, okay. makes any, yeah. that makes any yeah. sense. So uh, you've really got to look at your numbers. I mean, there's so many horror stories of people who are very creative, but never 
sat down and thought, how do I run this as a business? How do I, do yeah. I have it in me to fulfill 3000 orders yeah. when that comes about? I've, I mean, you don't want to, you know, be massively successful, make millions on Kickstarter and then go, right, I need to find a printer or, yeah, you know, yeah. right, I need to find uh, a manufacturer or something like that. So yeah, be prepared. Look, exactly. Yeah. And, um, of course, remember that Kickstarter will take 11% of whatever you make as well. That's how they make their money. So, you know, factor that in as well. Is, um, uh, do you, and, and I guess you've got to pay tax as well on that once it's in to your bank? Uh, a degree of that is processed by, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Kickstarter covers some of the admin and, and tax fees on their end. But yeah, of course, when whatever you make at the end of it, you will have to declare yeah. in your own tax returns and stuff. Yeah. And um, so I guess, sorry, I, I'm, oh God, I love the sound of my own voice. I'm sorry, I'm a terrible. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very lovely. So I don't mind. Better than oh, the silent, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's very, it's very <laughs> kind of you. Well, uh, I will try and wrap this up. So it was hit the ground running, uh, run the numbers beforehand, and um, try try and get your target as, your funding goal as, as kind of low as possible, which I I know is a weird thing to say, and I know it sounds a bit counterintuitive but if you have two projects running side by side on kickstarter uh they're both to make say a 50 page comic if one project is trying to raise three grand and another project is trying to raise 15 grand if they both make three grand the lower target one is going to seem more successful yeah so really think about your target and does it need to be as big as it is because we uh with sandwich maskers we made uh, a calculated risk to try and print less so we said what what kind of what size print run do we go for do we go for you know x amount or do we go for x times two and if we go for x times two we're going to need a higher kickstart target it's going to be harder to hit the perception will be that it's a slower project but if we go for a smaller print run we have less money to raise. Every backer is a is a larger percentage of our target, and there we might succeed. We might hit it quicker, and we might go over, which means we might be able to hit our second target with stretch goals. So think about that. Great. It's uh, we are going to be doing a, a Kickstarter campaign at some point, so it's good to good to know. Um, just well, to, just yeah. to check, uh, Dan, how are you doing for time on your side? Because it's going to be one of our longer episodes. Uh, yeah, well, we'll have to shoot off soon. But I'm alright for a couple of minutes. Oh, good grief! I'm so sorry, guys. I'm the, uh, we'll, no, we'll, sorry. We'll have to get you back on for an episode too because um, there's still a lot, yeah. a, a lot. I really want to sort of ask you, like your podcast, for example, would be interesting to see because you've got like four or five, haven't you? There seems to be quite a few. Oh well, uh, well, thank you. That's very kind. I mean, uh, uh, quantity does not equate to quality. I <laughs> said, <So>, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we we. Uh, it got a bit kind of derailed this year, if only because I've been quite ill for the last six months. Um, but uh, we're getting back on it now, and we have a wonderful organizational app, which has revolutionized the uh, everything we do. So we now have reminders when we need to record them, and I've, <laughs> I've been steadily improving my podcast rig. So we've now got quite a lean little system, which um, we can pop up and record at any moment. So Great. Um... So, I feel you are putting me to shame, though, with the general production levels and uh, of I yours. So. I don't know. I mean, it's um, you pick things up as you go, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's a very, it's a very I, humble you drop things. things. <laughs> Say again. I, I, 
and you drop things. I can't remember the last time I slept. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what what we'll probably do then, if it's okay with John, um, we'll make this episode more about the Kickstarter campaigns, and then we'll get on for part two where we will talk about Patreon and uh, 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 Big Punch Magazine and that kind of thing. Does that sound okay, John? To you? Sounds amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Right. So what we'll do now then, we'll, we'll jump straight into the quick fire round. Cue the little jingle there. Quickly, please. Um, and Dan, have you got your questions up in front of I've you? I've got them in front of me. Yeah, they all the ones from Slack. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, John, we're gonna shoot a load of short questions. You just say whatever comes to your mind. Don't worry, it's nothing too serious. But um, are you ready? That's fine. Now I'm guessing you'd like slightly shorter answers than some of my previous ones. You've got five seconds per answer. Fine, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay, Dan, uh, from the Slack list, then you go first. Cool. Last thing you do before you go to bed? Uh, cry. Arnold or Sylvester? Uh, Arnold. Cheese or yogurt? Both. Favorite word? Um. Uh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh my life. Uh, That's a difficult one. Is it? Oh, oh no, no. Uh, uh, no. Okay. Uh, quite out loud. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Don't stop it. Cue countdown jingle. Favorite book. Oh, good grief. Um, Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. Favourite film? Oh, uh, Pontypool. What makes you smile? Uh, so much, actually. I keep wanting to be depressed, but actually <laughs> I, I find I find a lot of humour in, in, in weird things. Uh, itchy and scratchy or pinky and the brain? Itchy and scratchy. Sauron or Voldemort? Oh, Sauron. <laughs> uh, Shakespeare or Wheaton? Is this, are we talking about Will Wheaton, Dan? Or... Will Shakespeare or Will Wheaton? Shakespeare, I guess. Okay, cool. Can I say as well, so in our list of when we were coming up with these questions, uh, Luke <laughs> followed several of these questions with, what do you reckon? And I was genuinely about to just ask you, what do you reckon? You see, I like that. It's quite deep. So what, what do you reckon? <laughs> I think we've we proven a... that we can go pretty deep on these. Oh no! You're saying like cheese or yogurt? Like, I, if I can't build a small house out of my cheese, I'm not touching it. But the rest of uh, the rest of Big Punch, we're talking about oh, like lunchables and kind of like liquid liquid cheese and little crispy straw things, and nothing repulses me more. Like, it's just oh, what about, uh, uh, cottage cheese, Do you like a little. Nah. No, it's a confused Tipple. yogurt. It's not really. <laughs> it is it's a confused not... yogurt. That's the best like description of cottage cheese. Oh, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, we're pretty going to have to wrap up pretty soon. So, John, where do you want people to go after listening to this show? I'm guessing the Kickstarter campaign, right? I've got, I've got to say right now, if I'm being shameless, I would love people to go to Kickstarter and look up Afterlife Inc. Volume 4, Man Made God. Cool. And um, there's a, a pledge on there, where which I've gone for, which is one where you get all four of the volumes. Is that right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, because uh, this is for obviously the fourth volume, and if you just if you pick up the book, you'll get digital copies of all the previous ones. But we also done options where you can complete your collection, so you can get two books, three books, four books, whatever you want. Great, perfect. Um, Dan, yeah, what about you? Where do you want to send people? Uh, send people to. We've got the new volume of the other stories starting on Monday, which is exciting, and the print version of the uh, of season. Seasons volumes four to six is coming out uh, in the next few days, so that's exciting. Cool. That by the time this podcast goes live, I'm sure that'll be that, out. They will so. be out, yeah. So I'll link that in the show notes, and 
yeah, uh, just go to the website, hawkandcleaver.com, and we'll get John on as soon as possible because I've got loads more questions for him. I'm going to be like the bad penny. I'm just going to be turning up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, guys. Yeah, nice one. Let's uh, let's reconvene. Thank soon. you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, John. Take care, man. Cheers, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories. Oh, and did you know, every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute, eh? Anyway, toodle pip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.